once again for tuning in to the Psychedelic Podcast. I'm your host, Shaman Dawn, and I have a very special guest today. He's written a book called The Mosaic, and it's a very interesting, introspective book about a young boy who travels around having conversations with people that lead him to a deeper understanding of himself and the universe. Welcome, Danny, to our show. Thank you so much for being here. Hey, Don. Great to see you. I loved having you on Conversations, and it's fun just catching up with you again. Thank you for having me. I read in your bio that you were a monk and you traveled for quite an extensive time. How many different countries have you been to, and, and why did you travel so much? So countries, I, I never really counted them because that's not my thing. I just go where the road takes me. But I've been to a lot of places. I've been all through Europe, the Middle East, the Asia. I have not been down in South America or Australia. I don't know why I never made it there. Just somehow I didn't get there. And I think it was in writing The Mosaic that I really realized now in retrospect, like looking back on my life, why I really did it. I was looking for the place that the adults had called heaven. And my parents passed away. So I was looking for my parents and the adults told me they were in heaven. And so... I kept looking for all these amazing places, and I was given the opportunity to run a multi-billion dollar company 50 years ago. So you know that would be a lot of money now, but it just didn't feel right, so I walked away from it. I was given the opportunity to start up organizational psychology. When I went to school, my mentor, my professor, my teacher, my friend, he said, psychology is happening for people. I believe there's a big place for it to happen within companies and corporations. And he said, I love you and I love your mind and I would love you to be my partner in this and I'm going to mentor you in this and we'll start organizational psychology together. Well, Don, I had hair down to my waist. I just walked away from an opportunity to run a multi-billion dollar company. I said to him, Lou, look at me. Do I look like an organizational psychology guy? I'm like as far away from organizations. That's not what I believe in. It's not what I'm for. Fast forward some 20, 30, 40 years, I've been doing a lot of work with organizations. So it just shows <laughs> my, my short sightedness in that. But traveling gave me a piece I really love. I love the idea of sitting on street corners and just watching life and watching people. And I was a terrible artist, but I didn't want to take the responsibility of having a camera with me and having a camera getting stolen. So I took a pad and some pencils with me and put it in my bedroll. And I would come into a city and I would just sit and I thought, well, it'd be cool to just see if I could draw what's here. And I would sit on a street corner and I'd start drawing. And pretty soon there were crowds of people around me, not like hundreds, but but a few people around me. Over time, they started to bring me a bottle of wine and they started to bring cheese and bread and food. And we were having like this little hullabaloo right on the corner there while I was drawing. And so I would give my drawings to people. You know, I'm sure they used it to start a fire because they sucked. They weren't very good. (laughs) (laughs) But it was such a beautiful way to see the world and to feel a connection to people. We couldn't even speak the same language in so many places. We couldn't speak any words to each other. But boy, did we share love together. And boy, did we just enjoy being with each other. And we just enjoyed the whole feeling of holding our hearts open to each other and just taking care of each other in whatever way we could take care of each other. So it was beautiful. From there, I joined the seminary. 
And I was one day away from being ordained a rabbi in Israel, and I said, nope, this isn't it either. And I walked away without my ordination. I started a business in San Francisco, a bookstore and a cafe in like the hate area or, you know, similar to the hate area. And I loved it. But I looked and I said, this isn't it. This isn't the heaven I'm looking for. And so I joined a monastery and was 10 years in a monastery. That was so close to the heaven I was looking for because I just loved it. I could sit in complete isolation and just be with my self and my beloved. And I used to chastise myself because I would meditate a lot. And I would wake up sitting in the same place that I was, you know, meditating. And I thought, well, this doesn't do any good. You're not gaining any points for sleeping in your meditation room. Just go to bed. (laughs) And almost as instantly, just to show you how beautiful the beloved is, almost as instantly as I said that the beloved came back and said, no, no, Danny, this is beautiful. Just sleep here with me. I'll hold you in my arms. And when you wake up, you're just here with me again. And I love that. I love the ability for you and me to just be here in this room and for you to just fall asleep, live your life. I'm yours. I'm here. And when you wake up, come back to me in the meditation room. And it was such an exquisitely beautiful place. But then what I realized is when I left the monastery, I left that place. I had some of it that I could take with me, but I was so used to the silence that I would go out and go, whoa, what's going on out here? There's like a lot of noise out here. And I'm a little bit of an empath, so I feel people. And it was like, oh, wow, I, you know, like I got to get back to the monastery. And I didn't like that. I didn't like that there was that big a separation. So I ended up getting married. I had a developmentally delayed daughter, the biggest gift that I've ever been given, although I, lots of years I didn't think it was. And worked at Hay House. Hay House is one of the premier self-help publishing companies in the world. When I came, they were a $3 million company. When I left, we were doing $100 million, and I was a director of business development. So a lot of that came through my arena and the work and the ideas that me and the guy who was running the company did together. And that wasn't my heaven either. I think I finally realized for me my heaven was in that moment where I would look at something and look at it and look at it, and suddenly I would see it was different. That perceptual shift of that moment where suddenly what I had always looked at and seen one way, I suddenly saw another. And I'm in one of those places, to be really honest, I'm in one of those places right now. The characters of the mosaic, I have a book club that I'm running on the mosaic. And some of the people in the book club, we have question and answer sessions every week. And those guys are asking me hard questions. When I sit and answer, it's so easy to answer the answers that are so easy to answer. But when you take the time to listen to what the questions are and listen to what the answers are, some of my foundations have been uprooted. Some of the things that I built my life on have just been gone. So I feel like right now in these moments, The characters of the mosaic are literally pulling the rug out from under my feet, rearranging the pieces of my mosaic, picking me up and not setting me down quite yet. So I'm like, whoa, where are you going with me? Here's my one little piece. I'm used to being right here. Can I come back to being here? No, we're going to move you somewhere, but we got to figure out where we're going. Well, can you shake it a little bit less? I'm getting really dizzy and perceptually shifting things that are happening. I'm like, whoa, it feels like the the firmness of the ground that I was walking on is now no longer firm. Hmm. So perhaps it really never was. 
It probably never was. But, you know, for me, at least, the stories that I tell myself so often and over and over again started to become realities. Mm -hmm. And I started to believe that I was like, I think most of us believe we're walking on solid ground, right? Mm -hmm. I think most of us, when we look at our life, say, I got a pretty good understanding of what's going on here. I mean, some better, some less. But I'm 65 years old. I've been playing this game for 45 years. I have a sense of what I sort of had a pretty good idea. And wow, finally, now I got my purpose down. Finally, now I know what I'm doing. Finally, now I understand. And it was like, whoa, where am I now? So I'm curious because this seems to be a pattern for you where you come down the road almost to the end of it and then you go oh wait no not this road and then you turn back and go a different direction this seems like sort of the same thing are we in book club again i think we are <laughs> <laughs> so i always thought that that was my pattern and maybe i just couldn't commit to things and i always troubled myself and thought about it and i started to meditate a lot on it and pray about it and what I realized is each shift that I made was because I realized that was not my heaven that I was mm -hmm. looking for. I didn't want to shortchange the opportunity to see it there. But once I saw it wasn't there, it didn't do me any good to stay there a moment longer. It almost seems to me as if you have a sense of when you're going to regret something and you stop just before you're going too far and you know, okay, if I stop here, I'm not going to regret making mm. the decision. I wish that were true because I've done a lot of things that I regret. <laughs> <laughs> I wish that were the case. But there's something to the place where there's an integrity that I feel to the soul of who I am. Mm -hmm. That when my soul no longer feels comfortable in this place that I'm in, I'm not really good at sort of beautiful weather today, isn't it? You know, I'm not really good at that small talk. I really just say, hold on, you know, something I got to just tell you what's going on. My, I don't feel at peace here anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think like even the book that I wrote is called The Mosaic. It's not like a jigsaw puzzle. Like a jigsaw puzzle, you put the piece in and it's exactly the spot it has to be in. I always found such comfort in that, that you know that this piece goes in this spot and it's perfectly created, that when you're in this spot, you're perfectly situated. A mosaic's not like that. You can take the pieces of a mosaic and move them anywhere you want and create new pieces around them and new areas. And it's almost as if the pieces that surrounded me and gave me peace for a while suddenly no longer gave me peace. And I would just lift it up and put myself into another place. It makes me think a little bit of law of attraction. Also, an innate ability on your behalf to hear yourself very clearly to where you're not going to deny yourself. And if you have the sense that this is no longer for me, you have no option but to follow that and adhere to that. Whereas some people will ignore that and be miserable and don't understand why. But it's as if you understand that you can't afford to be miserable because you've had too many good experiences. You know about this cosmic love to enter into something that would take you away from that is to be untrue to yourself. You are overly kind to me because I think that I have sat in that pain just like everybody else. 
but I'm starting to learn now as a scientist learns when you put these ingredients together, this is what happens. Now, you know, it's taken me a lot longer than most people. I'm probably not the smartest guy on the planet. But now I'm starting to learn that when these ingredients start to show up, when I start to feel this inside my soul, that that's the remedy for not such a good thing. That's going to bring with it a little more pain and a little more suffering. And so it takes a lot of courage to change course. And I don't like it. I mean, I (laughs) I would way rather put my head down and get to the finish line. You know, that's my nature. My nature is I'm great at starting things. I'm great at ending things. And in the middle is, you know, my place where I'm not so great at. I don't love the middle because I already see it already here as what it is. And right now I'm being asked to play in that middle zone a little bit. I'm being asked to say, hey, you know something? The middle is where all of life is here. So this is the piece that's being pulled out from under me right now. I love living in the world of spirit. Like I've meditated every day for 45 years, some days just a few moments, but some days 18 hours a day. And I love that practice. I love just closing my eyes and just feeling at peace with this world that's inside of me and connecting to this world and then taking that world and bringing it out to this world. But I don't really relate to this body and this world. I don't know really why I'm here in this body and this world, but I am here in this body and this world. Obviously, you were saying you enjoy the process of the starting and you like to find your way to the end point, right? This reminds me of your book, The Mosaic. The whole idea is this journey to the end. What is the end is heaven and you're trying to get there. Instead of focusing what's along the way, which is ultimately what ends up happening. It's like your personal struggle is in the book and you're still living it. And it seems like there's no clear cut lesson here. It's just a matter of hanging on until the ride is over. Yeah. Isn't that what so much of philosophy is about? It's about being in the moment. I wish there was like a cure cut lesson that I could say, and you follow these few steps and this is going to work. And it hasn't been the story of my life. The story of my life has actually been, it's not that I'm trying to find my way to the end. What happens is I see the moment where something's going to start. And oftentimes people around me don't see it, but I see that moment. I see that startup moment. Almost in the same moment that I see the startup moment, I see what it's going to become. I mean, I literally know this is what's going to happen. I know this is going to be the reality. This is what's going to happen. And so I sit and go, what is all this space in between? Like, what's that all about? If it's starting and we already know what's happening, why are we having to play this game right in here where it's so (laughs) painful and so joyful and so happy? And everybody's in this world over here where they're like, ah, wow, oh my God, look at that. Oh, wow, yeah, it's so exciting and peaceful and loving. But what the traveler in my book said is that everything in the world has three things. Nothing in the world happens without three things happening. And when I ask people what they are, they give me all sorts of philosophical, beautiful, mindful, fabulous, great, gorgeous answers. And I just laugh from inside because it's so much simpler than all that. The three things that happen in every single situation is a beginning, a middle, and an end. Yeah. (laughs) And you can't get away from that. And that's as simple as it is. 
But so it I'm, seems like the, the middle is the incarnation. The middle is the point of us coming here to be human, to be in this body, to have pain and joy and get burned and find our way into healing. And the end is not so important. And neither is really the beginning, but that's what we spend so much time on in philosophy and religion and art and all these things, creation and death and why we struggle with this back and forth. That's what we're spending our time here doing. And I so love your perception. And this is why conversation is so beautifully important. Because my perception of it is so completely different. And yet when you say what you say, I so completely get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my perception is people are trying to figure their way through life. Mm-hmm. So they think that, okay, here I am. This has begun. So I have to work my way through the middle. And I got to do all these things with the goal in mind of getting to the end. Not that the end doesn't matter or the beginning doesn't matter. They all matter. But people are spending a lot of time working from the beginning of where they are to getting to the place where they want to get to. For me, it doesn't work that way. I see the beginning and I know the end. It's like walking into a movie that you've already been in. And now you got to sit through the movie and see all the things that happen in between the end because you came in too late. You watched the end of the movie and you came in the beginning and you saw the beginning of the movie. Who wants to see the middle anymore? But that's where my place is now. That's where I'm being given the opportunity to say, okay, slow it down. I get that you know where you're going. I get you know how it's going to end. Can you enjoy and can you trust me enough? This is my beloved talking to me. Can you trust me enough to know that even though you know the beginning and you know the end, that you have no idea what the middle looks like? And let me give you some of these experiences of the middle. Let me give you the experience of falling in love and getting your heart broken. Let me give you the experience of having a daughter who's developmentally delayed. Let me give you the experience of having real loss of someone you really love. Let me give you the experience of just having a great day. Let me give you the experience of having a really shitty day. Let me give you the experiences that this world is tailor-made for you to have. And let's just walk through them. You have an advantage. You know how it's going to end. You shouldn't have to have much fear in your life because you know where it's going to be. True. Right? So why are you resisting this middle? And my answer has always been because why waste the time here? Like I already know what's going to happen. Let's create the next thing and, and move forward. Let's like high jump all this. But the traveler said to me, There is no success without a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when you try and skip a step, you skip a life and you Mm -hmm. fall. And so it's not that I resist the middle. It's not that I'm not enjoying the middle. It's just I'm sort of an impatient little pug. (laughs) I'm so curious. I've been trying to pin this down as I've been listening to you. What is your zodiac sign? (laughs) Okay. So my sun sign is Taurus. My rising Mm -hmm. sign is Leo. And seven of my planets are in the most exalted positions they could possibly be. One of the planets that's in an exalted position is Saturn. 
Mm-hmm. So six of my planets are saying, it is your time to get out there. You are going to just shine. You're just going to light this world up. We are going to set the world on fire with you. And Saturn's sitting there saying, over my dead body. <laughs> I wondered because there was this juxtaposition in, in your life between structure and chaos quite a bit. Yes. That's what it sounds yes. like, where you're presented with structure and it sounds good at first. And then you're like, nope, yeah. I have other things to do. Probably why you spend most of your life not being in corporate yeah. organizations and such. So yeah. do you have anything in your 12th house? I'm I, guessing I, I, in your I don't know my chart that well. It was done a long okay. time ago. And I'm not an astrology guy, but I just know when the guy who read my chart, he said, whoa, I haven't seen a chart like this ever. I would love to see that chart. I'll send it to you. I would love to get your input on it. That would be so because, cool. <laughs> because what he said is, like, when your planets are in exalted places, that means your life is an exalted life. Mm-hmm. Normally, people have one or two or three, you know, maximum. I have seven of my nine planets are in exalted places. That's crazy. I mean, it's crazy. And this is the result of that. So what? You know, it's a <laughs> it makes sense to me. So moving the conversation forward a little bit. What do you think is something very important that all people have in common from your experience? And do you think that we could ever achieve something like world peace? Easy and easy. And I've had such a beautiful opportunity to not only be with people from different lands, but from people from different stratospheres of economic wealth, from educated to not educated from people that have inspired millions and millions of people to people who are simply, no one even looks at them or would think that they could inspire anybody. I've sat with people of every color imaginable on this earth and some who have painted themselves with colors because they didn't like the colors they were or the colors that they were painted on them made them feel more alive. And I would say it doesn't matter what religion you are. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what color your skin It doesn't matter what border you live behind. Every single one of them wanted the same three things. They wanted to be loved and accepted. They wanted to be listened to and heard. And they wanted to be acknowledged and validated. Because when they had those three things, they actually felt seen in a world where they don't really feel seen. Even the wealthiest of people don't feel seen. They just think people want to be with them because they want their money. They don't feel like they're seen. And the poorest people don't feel like they are seeing people walk by them. And I would sit with people that had no arms and no legs with a little sign out in front of them saying, please help me. And people would walk by and I would hear, he's probably just going to use that for liquor. Really? He has no arms and legs. And if he did use it for liquor, you know what? It's probably not a bad thing for him to do. (laughs) Let him get a little break, right? And so when I realized that I could do that for people, when I realized it didn't take an ordination, it didn't take a college degree, all it took was a genuine enough interest in people that I could care about them and love them and hold my heart open to them and hold the space for them to just be loved and accepted with me and listened to and heard and and acknowledged and validated. I said, wow, I just won the jackpot because I can give everybody what they need to the extent that I can be around as many people as I can. 
Hmm. How do we get world peace? How do we take people who all want the same thing, but on the surface seem to be so different? I think we shift. Remember I said heaven for me, the shift of seeing things one way and suddenly seeing them another. The perceptual shift that I feel that I'm trying to initiate is a revolution of listening. Where suddenly, instead of talking so damn much, instead of finding all the points of separation that we have, instead of me looking at you and saying, well, you're different than me, we're never going to get along. You believe certain things that I don't believe, or that's never going to make us happen. We start to sit together and say, well, tell me what you really believe and what's really important to you. Mm-hmm. What is it you really want and how are you doing? Tell me just how you're doing. And what place can I play? in helping you achieve what it is you want to have. Because I believe that if we come together, we're more than we are on our own. And I don't know that I can do anything. It's not like I'm trying to fix you or change you or help you. But if I just love you and hold you together, we're just stronger together. Mm -hmm. It's not because I'm doing anything that you're going to change. It's because we're a bigger presence all of a sudden. And I'm a big guy. So when I hold on to somebody, it's a big love. (laughs) And so what I've just found in the room where I have these 50 conversations with 50 strangers, now hundreds of conversations with hundreds of strangers, is the people walk in the room, you are one of those people. Mm-hmm. And now it doesn't matter where you live, where you are. If I'm in anywhere close to where you live and where you are, I guarantee you I'm going to try and take you out to dinner or try and take your family or try to meet you, try and see you because you just take the time to get to know somebody. It doesn't matter what they believe. Some of my friends have the most wild, crazy beliefs you could ever imagine. I mean, I would never believe what they believe. But if someone was holding a gun to them, I would take a bullet for them because I love them that much. I don't give a damn what they believe. I love them. And somehow we've forgotten that. We've forgotten that behind all of our outer stories behind all these things that you said, well, it must be hard for you because the whole world is shaking and it's always shaking for you. Well, those were the stories that I put all my faith in. Nobody wants to lose those stories. And the people that are fighting each other, they don't want to lose those stories either because they've gotten strength in those stories. I now have this community of people that believe just like me. And if I yell loud enough at the other people that are yelling at us, whoever wins, we're going to take over this country. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to do it. Really? Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe it would be so much easier if we just helped each other. Today I was watching CNN for a couple of minutes, you know, so it already shows a lean, but I also watch Fox News. And I also watch whatever news I can get because I want to just hear every diverse opinion. But on CNN, they're now having some sort of documentary that's called Divided We Stand. You know, it's always been united we stand. (laughs) But now... We're at a place where we're divided. We're standing, but we won't stand long divided. And we know that. We know that united we stand. We're better together. We're more rich. Any business looks for people who think differently if they're really a good business, because that's where innovation comes from. But look at our religious institutions. Look at our medical institutions. Look at our educational institutions. I mean... Look at our organizational institutions where, you know, our companies. I'm not sure how much we're looking for different opinions. (laughs) The echo chamber is strong right now. Yeah. Yeah. 
so how do you think we get there? How do you think we get to a place where we can actually listen to each other and want to help each other? Because, I mean, there's a lot of this built up programming where people don't even realize that they're not being compassionate. They may think they are compassionate, but they're actually not. Yeah. And how do we even get to that point? So I think it happens on an organic level. Either we have a leader who comes in like a Gandhi who just changes the civilization, but how long did his change even last, right? He got gunned down. And I but imagine you've been to India. I have been to India, of course. So I you know it. that even there, people hate each other and beat each other, even though they seem to be so happy and peaceful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because people are people. My mode of doing it is not from the top down. I've tried that game for a long time. I've tried to influence the influencers. And I thought I was having some success until I see where we are now. And I don't see that I've had any success. So it's really from the bottom up. In classic terms of the world, that's called a revolution. But a revolution doesn't have to be a violent revolution. A revolution can be a revolution of love. I look at something like the coronavirus, an invisible virus that has made the world scared to death to be alive. Mm -hmm. So I wonder what the invisible virus of love could do. Ooh. If we just started to spread that uncontrollably, if we made ourselves contagious with the virus of love, we have to really do it because I see some of the people in my own groups, you know, yelling at other people because they believe one way or another about Trump or somebody else, you know. So that isn't a virus of love. That's a virus of ego. Which includes fear, hate, and it leads to more division. Yeah. When we fight the war of the enemy that we fight, we lose the war before it even starts. Bucky Fuller said that. He said, you can't change the world with the thinking of the world. You have to create a new paradigm that makes the old paradigm obsolete. The new paradigm is a paradigm of love. The new paradigm is a paradigm of listening. The new paradigm is a paradigm of receiving and connecting. Their new paradigm is looking for what we share in common rather than what we have apart. When I was in seminary, the Rebbe told me, you're too honest. He said, you're too honest and it's killing your truth. And I said, what are you talking about? Those are the same words. He said, no, they're not, not at all. I said, how is it that I'm too honest and that's destroying my truth? He said, let me give you an example. You're not married, but imagine one day when you are married. You go home and you say to your wife, baby, I thought about you every minute of the day, except for 45 seconds when this gorgeous woman walked by. I could not take my eyes off of her. <laughs> he said to me, what do you think your wife is going to hear? Is she going to hear that you thought about her for 23 hours, 59 minutes and 15 seconds? Or is she going to hear you thought about it for 45 seconds? You thought about some other woman that was walking by. And she's going to be up your trunk. <laughs> like, what were you doing thinking about that woman? Things you don't say. <laughs> yeah. So that is an honest person. Hmm. A truthful person says, baby, I thought about you almost every minute of the day. And I love you so much. And I'm so happy to be with you. I can't believe how lucky I am to be with you. 15 seconds in the course of a 24-hour day is not enough to mention. 
And there'd be some people that say, yeah, but you're not being honest. You're having these things going on. You know what? Everybody's going to have something going on. You don't lose your truth through your honesty. You always have to hold on to what is the truth of our life. We're in that pandemic right now. We're in the honesty pandemic. Mm-hmm. We're caught in honesty, which is destroying our truth. Hmm. It's been an interesting thing to watch this pandemic unfold and hit the whole world and lock everyone down, you know, literally, physically, emotionally, mentally, all these things. And yet I cannot help but feel as if it's the catalyst to an awakening because so many people had to sit with themselves for a bit and do nothing but be. And so many people couldn't do that. Or it led to an opportunity to self-evaluate themselves, their life, and see that, oh, okay, this really isn't actually working for me. Like, if I could go back to work tomorrow, I wouldn't really want to. Yeah. Or I have to sit at home with this person now that I actually really don't like. You know, now that I'm having to take my child's education into my own hands, I'm realizing I don't really like this education. All these things are now coming to light. So it's really been this massive cleanse. And I can't help but feel like you're right. This is an honesty time. Yeah. So what's interesting, though, is everything has its bell-shaped curve. And I hope you're right that it's continuing. But I'm starting to feel the bell has been reached. And now we're not gaining as much as we were. Maybe if we're forced to seclude again, we'll be forced to see something. But I feel like there's a backlash now. And I feel like people are, they're like, you know, I'm tired of doing this. It's hard. It's too hard. I'm stuck. I feel trapped. I'm over it. I've already got what I'm going to get from it. And I remember for a little while, even though I was a lousy artist, I took an art class. And in the art class, I would draw some. And the teacher would come around and, you know, I see the end pretty quick, so I don't spend a whole lot of time in the middle. So I was finished quicker than most people, which that's yeah. in my nature, right? So she would come by and she'd say, so are you finished? And I said, yeah, this is exactly what I wanted it to be like. And she said, okay, it actually looks okay. She said, I want you to add 10 things now to it. I said, 10 things? <laughs> you want me to add 10 things to it? But it's already done. She said, yeah, okay, all right. So add two things to it. If you can't add two things, just add one more thing, but make it a big thing. And I said, I don't know where I would add. She said, good, that's great. Welcome to creativity. When you think you're done, add something to what you think is finished. It'll force you to be creative. Interesting. That's what I'd like to say to people in pandemic time. When you think you're done, find one more thing that you haven't finished and do it. Work on that thing. Yeah. I'd be curious to know your thoughts on this new earth paradigm that I think a lot of people, they're banding together and there's sort of a quiet revolution going on because people are turning towards this idea of building communities and breaking away from the system and the structure and they're wanting to do it themselves. They're saying, okay, what can you do? What can I do? What is your skill that you're bringing 
What do you want to see different? What's your take on that? Because it kind of seems like there's this ebb and flow of humanity, just even within our American culture, where we went through this in the 60s, right? I mean, we had this love-based community. You were there. I was not. Um, (laughs) So you know what it was like. And now do you feel like we could just easily go back towards something like that? I mean, you were talking about contagious love. And to me, that love in the 60s and 70s was probably very close to that. What do you think? I can't tell if everybody growing up just longs for the time that they were growing up and wishes they were living in it again, or if we were really in a magical time. But when I listen to the music of the 60s and 70s, when I get the feeling of the 60s and 70s, when I was about to take my trip around the globe, Again, like I hitchhiked before when I was 18 in the 60s and 70s. And when I was about to do that now when the mosaic finished and then the pandemic stopped me from doing it, I felt like, here we go. We're back on the road again. We're going to do it. We're going to see these people. We're going to enjoy them. Here's the place that I feel is different. And here's the place that I think we have to watch out for. Look, I know what it feels like to find my like-minded community. The day I found my like-minded community, I thought I died and went to heaven. I no longer had a fight to protect myself or defend my point of view. Or I was with other crazy human beings who thought similar to me, and I couldn't believe that there were other mofos out there that thought the same way I thought. I mean, I couldn't believe it. And it made me feel so happy to finally be with a group of people that saw the world through the eyes that I saw the world in. Secure. Secure, safe, part of something. That was my tribe. But watching now is our like-minded communities are getting bigger and stronger. And the gaps between our like-minded community and other like-minded communities are getting wider and deeper. And those silos are becoming indestructible. But God didn't create the world with silos on it. He created it with open fields and meadows and mountains to separate when we needed separation and rivers to separate when we needed separation. But he didn't create silos. This makes me think of one of my favorite terms biodiversity it's so critical to have a healthy ecosystem you need to have biodiversity anything if it doesn't have diversity like your diet your mental stimulation if there isn't diversity it's not healthy so i totally see what you're saying and so my fear in the back to the land movement anew to the homesteading movement anew is that it will isolate as well as it will be a reaction to something that's out there rather than an action of love to bring the world to something better. And when people move out of the communities that they're in into communities that they want to form, in a lot of them, they're going to feel like they need to protect their environments. And so they arm up, not because they're meaning to do anybody harm, but they just want to protect their land. And we're back in Animal Farm. Yeah, right. that's a really good point. And so I believe that the communities that we have to establish are of like and unlike mind communities. We have to bring people of all different thoughts together because that's where I believe innovation happens. Mm -hmm. I believe when you and I can sit together and look at the same thing and see entirely different things and grok each other's reality and enjoy each other's reality and say, wow, that's amazing that you see it that way. I love that. Rather than you see it that way, you're my enemy. I'm going to have to take you out. Nothing on its own is good or bad. It's what we do to it that makes it 
quote unquote good or bad, if there is even a good or bad, I'm not sure there is. It's the meaning that we give to it. And when we say we're going to the land and we're going to leave behind these people, mm-hmm. we're already have one foot in the grave in my mind. Huh. Wow. This has been truly enlightening. And I'm going to be thinking about this conversation for quite a while. I think often on our conversation that I had with you on your show, where I described to you our whole homesteading dream. And now yeah. I'm I'm realizing, like you said, just when I thought it was done, now I have to add something. Yeah. And, and that is the creativity part of it is how am I going to make sure that I am not placing myself in a silo? How do you create a community that is a virus of love that everybody that comes to that community gets infected? And takes the love of that community out into the world that they go to, no matter what they do, whether they come to pick a vegetable or come to sit and have a meal or come to just pull a weed or come to milk a cow or come to just drive by and get a lemonade on their way through because they just need some place to get something, you know? It can't be too much of a community then. It can be. Yeah. There is no nothing that it cannot be. All (laughs) there is is what it can be. And what could it be? I would invite the perspective of, yeah, we're going to do this. What can it be? Instead of what are the limitations on it, what's possible for it? How do we hold this space where even if nobody comes and visits us, even if we're in the wilderness, the energy just radiates out so that everybody within 2,000 miles of us starts to feel this energy. And it affects them. I would like to challenge the listeners as we close on this conversation to think about what it is that you can do to send out that type of change in the people around you. And are you living that change within your own heart? Because you do have to have an open heart that is connected to others in order to send love out. And you have to love yourself. So are you loving yourself? Ask yourself this. Are you loving yourself enough that you can love others, even if they differ from you wildly? Because sounds like, based on our conversation now, that that would at least be the beginning of world peace. That has to come from within all of us. We all have to agree that that's what we want first. And we have to leave division behind in order to do that. I love when a conversation comes full circle. And we started out the conversation with this thought around how often I changed positions, how often I looked like I was doing something and then left. I learned something in our conversation today. Part of what happened for me and the ability to shift completely what I was doing wasn't because of a lack of commitment phobia to doing something but a commitment to a truth that is bigger than any truth that I was living in that moment. Mm. And when I saw a truth that occupied a space that was larger than I was in, I had no choice. But I mean, I had a choice. I could have said, I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to just stay where I am. But there was really no choice for me. I had to say, why would I give up this opportunity to experience this bigger, broader truth? And it's happening right now. It is not a comfortable place to be. I don't recommend it. If you can get by not doing it, I recommend you do. (laughs) But if you can't, boy, it's a fabulous ride. 
because the middle is where it all happens. We did come full circle. I really enjoyed that too. And thank you, Danny, so much for being here with me today and for having this very enlightening conversation that I think anyone who listens to this will be able to take a lot away from it and learn something new as we both did. I think I learned quite a bit in this conversation. It's giving me a lot to think about. So I really appreciate this. I appreciate you and your entire life and everything that you've been through and for your willingness to share that with others because you and I are very much alike in that we feel that if we share the path that we've taken with somebody else, it might bring them something or it's a gift that we pass on and we give to whoever will listen. <laughs> yes. I appreciate you very much and I thank you for coming on to the Psychedelic Podcast. Big love. Thank you so much. Thanks, Danny. Take care. Ciao. Someday